0: An NY2C exclusive podcast You're listening to On The Call The latest news and opinions on all things New York sports With Joey Rinaldi and Derek Futter
1: On The Call starts now Welcome to On The Call, the sports podcast, NY2C, all things New York sports, available on all audio platforms and video exclusive on NY2C.com. I'm Jared Futterman, joined today, as always, by Joey Rinaldi, but if you've been watching us, you'll notice that Joey has a different background behind uh, him. Where are you, Joey?
2: I'm not doing well. Uh, I'm uh, I'm actually at work right now at a film studio, but you don't believe me.
1: No, you're not. That, that's not a <laughs> film studio. That That's a brick room. What, th- where are you, actually? G- give uh, the true answer.
2: am I'm, I'm at a janitor's closet at uh, at a dive bar. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I, as soon as I got off the airport from Austin, Texas, I, the taxi driver was like, "Where do you want to go?" And I go, take me somewhere I can drink." Uh, I, I had cause I had too much fun in Austin. I want to keep the party going, baby. But I'm a mess right now. Uh, I forgot to bring the Rogaine to Austin with me, so you see, like my hair—it's balding more than ever.
1: It's receding. Jeez. Yeah,
2: and, and, and that, it's, you're not lying. And so uh, I I need a pick-me-up to to feel get some confidence going. So.
1: So you are in a janitor's closet at a dive bar. Uh, oh I, my I, goodness. I
2: promised the owner of the bar I would not disclose the the location.
1: So you're in an undisclosed janitor's closet at a dive bar. Very interesting. I mean, you know, and from that closet, I'm sure you could see how the Mets and Yankees are doing. They are kind of trending in opposite directions. And we're going to talk to Wayne Randazzo of the Mets radio broadcast team in a second about the team in Queens. But we got to touch on the Yankees. 11 straight victories, including two games against the Atlanta Braves, one that came right down to the wire the other night that Aroldis Chapman nearly blew up again. Uh, Freddie Freeman came up with the bases loaded, but the Yankees were able to retire him to end the game. Uh, The Yankees assert, right now. And they're the second best team in the AL and they look like they can't be stopped. What have you seen over in the Bronx lately?
2: Uh, it, it's funny uh, all season. We were saying the Yankees can't rely on power to win games, but now that they're winning games, everyone's like, Oh, power is all you need to win games. It's like whatever, it's like the Yankees have like the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. So like when the things are working, it's working and right now. They're on fire. Like all the bad things I said about Yankees earlier this season, I want to take back immediately because they're on fire, baby. On fire.
1: Do they still need a Joe leading them or can they trust Aaron?
2: I mean, I would still like a Joe around maybe as a bench coach, pitching coach. I don't know. In some capacity, they need a Joe involved in my opinion, but for now they're doing good with Aaron.
1: Meanwhile, on the other side of town, the New York Mets are two and 10 in their last 12 games. The first time since the seventies, they've played two teams, a hundred games in the season with winning percentages, over 600. Those would be the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Now, earlier today, Joey and I sat down with one of the radio announcers for the New York Mets on WCBS, 880 Wayne Randazzo and we asked him what has been going wrong for the Mets in this recent stretch
0: well you know a lot of a lot of things have led up to where the Mets are right now obviously it's a long season but in in the recent time here you know we've seen this team's really pressure itself with runners in scoring position they just uh, every time they seem like there's a chance to, to break through I think they're really putting themselves in a, in a spot mentally where they're having a hard time you know not thinking about it, or, or not trying to do too much, and I think we've seen the team really struggle to to lop on a lot of base hits, which you know is surprising considering this was supposed to be a very good offensive team. You know we've seen McNeil, and Dominic Smith, and Michael Conforto, and and Lindor, all have the worst years of their careers, and when half your lineup is having their worst seasons in their major league careers, it's it's difficult to overcome that. And you really don't have anybody having the best year of their careers either. You've got Alonzo doing probably what was expected. You've had a really good year from Nimmo, but he's been hurt for some of it. So you couldn't really get the full thrust of what he could bring. And, you know, McCann's not having a good year. Nito's just been okay offensively and really, I guess, is expected from him. J.D. Davis has struggled and he's not been healthy either.
2: Hey, I have a question. Did you uh, see the garden comments? Do you think that had anything to do with their struggles during the, the uh, out west? Say again. Do you think this comment garden made about how like the schedule and going out west, like after ba- like back to backs and like late night travel, do you think that had uh, any play in these struggles they had out west?
0: Well, the Dodgers did this, the same thing. You know, they played a Sunday night game, and and against the Mets, they had to go out west as well and play the next day too. So, you know, yeah, it's not great, and the and the players can, you know, change that in the next collective bargaining agreement if they want to. But, you know, that those things happen. You have to overcome it. These are professional athletes. These are in the major leagues. Both teams did it, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't hear anything from the Dodgers side about <laughs> how it changed their season.
2: Well, I guess it's easier when you're not the one losing.
0: (laughs) I guess so.
1: I mean, four for 28 with runners in scoring position in that series at Dodger Stadium against L.A. And now the Giants, they've had a rough week, but they have 15 games coming up against the Nationals and Marlins. And they're just they are seven games out. And the 1973 Mets were actually in a similar position at this point in the season and ended up making it to game seven of the World Series. They just fell short to Oakland, of course, that year. But do you still think that there is a legitimate chance with the Atlanta Braves and the Phillies playing as well as they have over the last month and what they did at the deadline? Do you think there is still a legitimate chance? legitimate chance that the Mets can make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, well, I think that when you look at those 15 games, you you have to win probably 12 of those. You really have to do a lot of damage against those two teams to put yourself in that position. So yeah, it sure can. It it can change quickly. You know, if the Mets do have a stretch where they go 12 and three against those two teams and Atlanta just kind of middles along, you can gain four or five games right there in, in in a couple of weeks. So. Yes it is possible and there are ways for the Mets to get back into this thing and they have to just play better they they, it's on them you know they're gonna have to go out there and win those games they should be winning against those teams and there's there's no more time to to make excuses or to lose more games this is this is the time to make that happen so yeah it's possible and and, you know maybe Atlanta comes back a little bit you know the Phillies they're kind of where the Mets are right now they are a couple games better but You know, they've they've had a a rough week as well. So they're they're not really that much further ahead and uh, I, I think the real team to beat certainly seems to be Atlanta.
2: Well didn't we just see the Yankees beat up on Atlanta? Hopefully the Mets can copycat them the next time they play them.
0: Yeah, you know, they don't play each other until the very end. The last three games are against each other. So if if those games are meaningful Then, yeah, that would be great. The Mets will have a chance to, to win on their own accord and not need any help at the very end of the season. So as long as they're within three games going to that last weekend, then that's on the table.
1: We got good news this week on Jacob deGrom. MRI came back clean and he is throwing again, even did some left-handed throwing for fun in the outfield I was seeing. But, you know, deGrom now possibly rejoining the fold in September when they're really taking on some divisional rivals. And you'll have Noah Syndergaard hopefully back by then in a relief role nonetheless. But if you finally have somewhat uh, a semblance of a healthy pitching rotation, uh, what is realistic, I guess, to expect of deGrom and Syndergaard coming back and how they can impact the team?
0: That's a good question. You know, I think Syndergaard, in his case, they, they pretty much laid out that they want him to be a reliever. He's going to pitch an inning today at Brooklyn and, and go from there. And, I, you know, he might not even need that long. You you could even – I think it's not unrealistic to say that Syndergaard could be ready for a big league bullpen as early as next week or maybe a week and a half. So, I think you could see Syndergaard rack up some relief innings in September. Uh, it's not going to help you in the rotation. You know, DeGrom is not even eligible to come off the injured list until September 13th because they put him on the 60-day. That does give you a room, you know, for four starts or so in the final few weeks of the year. You know, can he give you six or seven innings in those games if he does come back? Probably not. So, you know, really what you're looking at is is hoping to get 15 or, or 20 innings out of Jacob DeGrom in September if you really need it. And that could be impactful if the Mets are close. You know, if they're not close, so I, I think it's certainly possible we don't see Jacob at all. And uh, you know what the Mets do in these next few weeks leading up until the day DeBrom could possibly come back is important as to whether he will, plus how he feels and, and what is going on with him physically. So we're a long way off still from seeing Jacob and, and seeing what kind of impact he can even make. As
1: a follow-up there, the Mets have Aaron Loop and Miguel Castro, who I both believe have served as openers this year. It, maybe you could play them, uh, loop or Castro, go an inning or so with them and then throw DeGromen for four or five innings. Do you see that as something the Mets could consider going in September?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think in in that instance, you know, Jake would just pitch the beginning of the game. And if he can only pitch three innings or four innings, then that's what they'll do. And then they'll move on to the bullpen from there, you know you could piggyback Degrom and Syndergaard together at that point. Uh, you know, make them kind of a, a, a tandem for for a six or so innings. If, if Jake's only going to pitch four and Noah can only pitch one or two, so they'll they'll figure that out. But it, the positive thing is that you know Degrom is taking steps now, and hopefully there's no more setbacks.
2: Yeah, Wayne, you stole the words right out of my mouth when you were saying Syndergaard should be in the bullpen. I'm like. With these Mets pitchers starting the game, doing like two, three innings, you need a long reliever. So I, I think Syndergaard may even get most of the innings, even if he is coming out of the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I would expect him only to pitch an inning or two at this point. You know, I don't think you're going to see Syndergaard stretch out to to go beyond two or or even three innings. Really? I think that would be a stretch for the final month. I think they want to ease him in and, and pitching him in the bullpen, I think, is the way for them to do that. I got I to gotta ask Scott. Uh,
1: we've been seeing around baseball analytics, really taking a front seat to, you know, watching the game and making decisions based on what you're seeing on the field. Uh, earlier this week, we saw it with Taiwan Walker being pulled out of the middle game of the series against San Francisco, uh, only 73 pitches or so. And they brought in Aaron loop and loop, unfortunately surrendered the lead. I know he had like a 0.3 ERA since may coming in out of the bullpen. So in those instances, uh, I know Luis Rojas was getting a lot of the blame. There were fire Rojas chants from the crowd. uh, And that must have been rough uh, after that kind of a decision. But, you know, do you think that right now the decisions the Mets have made this year, and there have been many difficult decisions they've had to make with pitchers, do you think that right now the Mets should maybe take a look at themselves in the mirror and say, all right, we have to let our guy uh, do what he's doing out there instead of just pulling him? Or do you think that these kind of moves where you're playing the analytics, the matchups that way are the right thing to do, even if it backfires occasionally?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think what happened with Taiwan Walker is necessarily analytics. I I think that's a a blanket term that is used to describe things that maybe really aren't exactly what they're what as they're being seen in that instance. You know, Taiwan Walker was pitching a great game. He had gone six innings. Two guys got on base that really didn't even earn their way on. There was an error, and there was a blue pit that should have been caught. And you know, uh, to pull Walker in that scenario. And to go to Aaron Loop, that's not analytics. That's not – that's a lefty-lefty matchup with a guy that you trust in Loop. It just was the wrong time for it because Taiwan Walker did not do anything to deserve to be pulled out of that game. You know, if Walker had given up two rockets right there, yeah, you want to bring in Loop to face Brandon Crawford. There's nothing wrong with bringing in Aaron Loop to face Brandon Crawford. That really wasn't where the Mets fell into trouble there. Now, Loop didn't get Crawford out, and that only highlights – what went wrong is that Taiwan Walker did nothing to deserve to be pulled out of the game. He was excellent yesterday mm-hmm. in that game against the Giants. He did not have any mistakes except for the Chris Bryan home run, and he had shown no signs of being tired. The reason why two guys got on base was not because he was getting tired. He'd only thrown 74 pitches. So it's it's more of a lack of trust in your starting pitcher at that point a lack of trust in the fact that he's done well and, and, and should be given an opportunity to continue to do so, and a panic move, really, by Luis Rojas, that he did not want to lose that game because he didn't make the move. He felt more comfortable losing that game because he made the move that he thought was right in putting Aaron Loop in to face Brandon Crawford, when maybe he should have relied on the starter that had done really well up to that point.
1: All right, Wayne, well, let's transition now into what you're doing in the radio booth. Uh... Broadcasters, due to the COVID pandemic, most crews in the MLB still aren't traveling. So I have to ask, how has remote broadcasting been? What have been really the big differences you've seen when you're at Citi Field or in a studio and it's uh, the team's not right in front of you playing?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been awful. It's it's uh, something that is totally unnatural to, to what we do as, as broadcasters and to tell the stories of the game and of the players. Um you know, it's just it's just not the right way to do it. We we're in the team is in Los Angeles. Uh, we're in New York. It's raining. There's a hurricane. We are not able to really describe the atmosphere of the game because we're not in it. And we're watching it from a, a TV in a place 3000 miles away. We're not able to have conversations before the game with the players or the coaches or anybody to kind of get a feel for how things have gone. It's the end of a long road trip. They've been gone for a week. We haven't had those conversations in a week. So it's it's really a deterrent to what we do as broadcasters. You know, sometimes we are in a studio, we only have one screen and we can't really see what's going on. If a runner's trying to steal, we have no idea. If a runner's being waved around third to be sent home to score, we can't see it. So it is really a a horrible way to do a baseball game and to cover a live sporting event. It's a disservice to the listeners. It's a disservice to the broadcasters and what we do. And it's, it's really, a, it's not the right way to do it. And hopefully, you know, I think obviously last year there was the pandemic and we were in the height of it all. And there was no vaccine and uh, we had to do, what we had to do for safety. Maybe that carried over into the beginning of this year, but ever since then, you know, the reasons why we are not on the road really has nothing to do with COVID and that's an unfortunate thing.
2: That's horrible. Do you think moving forward, it's possible to get access to, like, all the camera angles that, like, SNY will use, like, while they're on the road?
0: Um, you know, we we, we see what SNY is using, and and, and I think and we don't have all the access to all the camera angles. We do have access to uh, the high home, which shows us the entire field, or at least most of the field, which is helpful. Um, but still, you're just not, you're not in it. You're not re- enraptured in the in the atmosphere, you know. The Yankees played in the Field of Dreams game, and John and Susan weren't there. How could you describe what's happening in that atmosphere, in that game, in Iowa, at that site, if you're not there? It is an impossibility. They've never been there. They've never had a Major League Baseball game before. So it was impossible for John and Susan to be able to describe the actions of of the event uh, at the field of dream site. It's, it's not, it's, it's really a bad way to do this and it's just not a big league way to do it.
2: Oh, what, what? Oh, no, yeah. you,
1: you go, you go. It's
2: fine. Oh, uh, I'm uh, sorry. I, I Challenges of ask, remote
1: podcasting.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you, um, like besides like, like the basic answers of like being there at the game, what are some other like things that people wouldn't know that you'd miss about doing the road? Uh,
0: yeah, I think the big, the biggest thing is just kind of being swept up in, in the atmosphere of it and, and just had the conversations with players. You know, we, we do where we are on the field. We do have a chance to talk to players and, and talk to coaches before games and, you know, be able to tell those stories. Our job is to tell the story of the game and of the players playing the game. And if we're not at the game and not able to tell those stories, we're not really doing our job. We're giving you the very basics of broadcasting which is just to tell you what's happening in the game and that is just that is the very basic level of what we're supposed to do that's one thing we're supposed to do yes at the end of the day we're supposed to tell you what's happening in the game we can largely do that from a remote broadcast but all the other layers of what goes into a major league broadcast and what can really be great about being on the air and about encasing those stories and telling people what's happening in a game And describing the action and describing the events of the players on the field. It's just not possible to do on on the screen.
1: I have to ask, uh, you've been with the Mets for quite a while, I believe since 2015 in some capacity. You've had a lot of interesting and exciting moments on the radio. What has been your favorite call?
0: Yeah, you know, there's there's really a couple that stand out to me. I was uh, I was lucky to do one of the playoff games in 2015. And the one I did was the first playoff game ever at City Field, and it was uh, against the Dodgers coming back after the Ruben Tejada broken leg and the Chase Utley play. I mean, City Field was just red hot that night, and uh, Cespedes hit a big home run in that game, and I got to call that home run, and the place was just electric. It was so loud that night, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget having that opportunity that for that game. And then for Pete Alonso and the home run chase in, in 2019, setting the rookie record, you know I was really lucky to be able to call his 53rd homer. Uh, it happened just fall in the inning that I was calling the game, and and again uh, you know, another great moment. And you know what you want to do as an announcer is just be able to to feed that moment, to give it its give it its due, give it its justice in that time, and uh, to have those opportunities. You know they're rare. You know as as you just said. 2015 that's six years ago and there are two distinct moments that stand out in that time and you know it's 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 lucky to be able to even have those two but uh you know you really hope to do the job right when those moments come because you don't know when the next one is is going to be the next truly impactful great moment in met's history you know alonzo's 53rd homer is the last one i got to call and that was almost two years ago now. So it's you just want to be able to wrap your arms around those moments and, and handle them the best that you can.
1: You're working with a broadcast partner who has had several of those moments throughout his long career, including a Rangers moment with Stefan Matteau scoring a goal that sent the Rangers to the cup. And of course, that's how he rose. So coming from Chicago uh, early in your broadcast career and landing the job with the Mets working with how he full time, uh, how has he and his broadcast style really influenced the way you do radio and the way you broadcast overall?
0: Yeah, he just had a lot of influence. You know, Howie is, has been a tremendous mentor to me on and off the mic. And uh, I think that the biggest thing I could say about what Howie brings is that he's able to be entertaining and informative and very st- stylistically and fundamentally a good play-by-play announcer. And he's able to weave all that in together without missing anything on the field. You know, I think uh, some guys can be really funny and entertaining and they're missing what's happening on the field. Or they're really good at what's telling you what's on the field, but they're also kind of boring and, and, and not really entertaining you along the way. And Howie is probably the best in baseball at doing both. You know, Bob Huker, if you listen to Bob Hucker, that's that's as entertaining of a broadcast as you'll ever hear. That is is that is high, high entertainment. Sometimes, you know, Hugh gets lost in the game a little bit, not always <laughs> sure What's what's happening on the field, and uh, it, and that's huge style, and he's a legend, and he's one of the best to ever do it. But I think what Howie does is is able to just mix and match perfectly, being entertaining, telling stories, and also telling you what's happening on the field. And I've I've tried to take as as much from that as as anything.
2: Uh, d- during a season that's so long as as baseball is, uh, h- how do you like uh, keep it fun and fresh during the dog days? Like, is, I-, I feel like there must be a lot of comedy in the booth between you uh, and the guys uh, uh, calling the game.
0: Every day feels fresh and new and it's a new broadcast and it's a new game. And, you know, even tonight, you know, the Mets are, are, are fading back and they're struggling, but. You know, tonight's a new game and a new broadcast and a new opportunity, and, and we're going to treat it as such. And uh, you know, I think that's that's the best way to handle it. Is that every day kind of is its new thing. It's you know, it's it's a season, but also you know, there's these are standalone games too. Something could happen tonight that we'll remember for the next 50 years. And uh, to be prepared and ready for whatever's ahead is is I think how we are able to get through. Uh, the, the six-month grind of it and, and call all these games.
1: All right, Wayne, to close out our interview here, uh, advice for young broadcasters. There's a lot of people looking to follow a path similar to yours, uh, starting in radio and then going to the major leagues. Uh, what advice do you have for young broadcasters, people trying to get into the game of baseball?
0: Um, yeah, stay with it. You know, persevere. Keep, keep I'm going to say a lot of cliches, but they're all true. You know, you're going to have to fight through it. And learn and network and critique yourself and get people to critique you and reach out to as many people as you can. Make connections. You know, sometimes you have to uh, reach out to someone four or five times to make that connection. Um, you know, uh, I, there's a fine line between you not doing enough and you not doing too much, and, or, and, or you doing too much, and you have to kind of figure out where that line is. And, and kind of tiptoe along it. Uh, it's it's a tough industry. It's a fun job, and I think there are many jobs that you can do that are good jobs. You know, you don't just have to be a, a Major League Baseball announcer. You could be a college football announcer and, and have a really good career, um, you know, with a good university or a good team or a good market. Uh, maybe, you know, you are you get a AAA job and you find yourself really happy in that, in that market and, and you're calling baseball and you're making decent money and, Uh, You're where you want to be. It doesn't always have to be uh, the major leagues and the number one market or, or all this, you know, I think that's a lot of pressure uh, to put on yourself. I I certainly have have been guilty of that. So uh, I think that having fun with it and, and putting the work in to get better and, you know, just trying to make sure that you're, you're putting yourself in a position to succeed and do the best you can. in every game that you broadcast is, is really important. And to, you know not say no you know if you get an offer to do a lacrosse game and you've never even watched lacrosse in your life say yes learn lacrosse call that game give it the best you've got uh any any opportunities you get as a young announcer to be on the microphone is a good opportunity so uh, i i wouldn't i wouldn't say well that's that's a high school game or that's the soccer and i don't like soccer Uh, do everything you can take as many opportunities behind the microphone as possible and, uh, you know, work as hard as you can. That's that's really the only way to get through.
1: And lastly, Wayne, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you have a cousin who is a major league umpire, Tony Randazzo. So I have to ask, when he is behind the plate for a game and there's the borderline pitch that, you know, the crowd groans, that's
0: called the other way, <laughs> what do you do in the booth? Uh, we, uh, we'll rip them. You know, we don't have uh, any problems. Yes. Problem. <laughs> you, know, you know how we and I are. You, there's no way we wouldn't rip him for that. We'd probably rip him more because he's my cousin than, than rip him less because he's, if he wasn't. So, I, I think there's less of a, a chance that he can get through without getting ripped, other than than other umpires who we don't know personally. Uh, yeah, he's he's got to make sure his his strikes are good, at least in favor of the Mets. If he if he calls one <laughs> wrong the other way, we'll just say that it's because he knows me.
2: Has he ever <laughs> thrown you out of a family barbecue for ripping him? One? <laughs>
0: no, not yet. Not yet. Maybe. Maybe eventually. <laughs> Welcome back to On The Call, an NY2C exclusive podcast.
1: And welcome back to On the Call the Sports Podcast from NY2C, exclusive video feed on NY2C.com. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, that was a great interview a second ago with Wayne Randazzo, spoke about the Mets, his broadcasting career. Very interesting. But now let's replace the M and Mets with the J, and we'll go over to the Jets. Uh, the Jets beat the Green Bay Packers in a preseason game. They're currently 2-0 and in the preseason. Zach Wilson has been looking quite impressive at QB. What are your thoughts on the young Jets rookie?
2: He is going to be remembered as the best all time Z- Jets quarterback. Wait, what? No. Uh, no yes, Joe no. Namath. Joe Namath, step aside. We, we have a new From guy. The- He's 2 and 0 in the preseason. I'm vibing with Zach Wilson, baby. This guy is a winner. He's a winner, smile, winner, throw. And remember, I was complaining that we have no backup quarterback in case this guy gets injured? I don't think we need a backup quarterback. I think Zach Wilson is going to be healthy go 16 and0 he's going to have the longest winning streak in, in like Jets history He's two and0 already and I love it.
1: Well, the jets have had their fair share of injuries lately. You know, Carl Lawson was carted off the field with a leg injury, the defensive end. And he's a big piece of this team. Definitely M-
2: Not coming back. I think his season's over
1: probably. Yeah. I believe it was a UC uh, ACL tear rather that is going to end his season. That's a real shame for the jets. Losing him there He carted off the field, just a, a tough team, uh, a tough scene to see in the preseason. And then Mekhi Becton, the left tackle, uh, another injury for a possible concussion. So the jets right now, uh, much like the Mets managing the injury bug uh, Prior to the season beginning, and uh, we'll see how they do there. Meanwhile, what have been your thoughts on the Giants across town? Daniel Jones this preseason, and the Giants looking to get back to the playoffs for the first time in a while.
2: Giants football fans are the craziest people alive. I was reading all these different Giants blogs. I even read the New York Post. Do you know what all the reporting is talking about right now? Do you know what the reporting is talking about? What do we got? Not preseason. Football games, but they're talking about preseason football scrimmages. Scrimmages, Derek. Are you kidding me? Is this new? Is this a thing that people talk about regularly? Because this is what they're saying. The Giants had a scrimmage with the Patriots, and they're saying the Giants have the wrong Jones. Because. Uh,
1: <laughs> Mac Jones, you mean?
2: Yeah, they're saying Mac Jones has been making. Daniel Jones looked terrible in these preseason scrimmages, which I didn't even realize they brought cameras and a television crew to the to the scrimmages. I didn't even know, are fans even allowed to go? How do people even know this is happening?
1: You know, people really follow these teams closely. I wouldn't doubt if they know about that. I mean, the Giants have already gotten into two separate brawls. One one within their own team, and the second, I believe, uh, uh, during the preseason in an inter-squad practice with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, the Giants right now, uh, they're trying to make the playoffs again. We'll see what they can do, but I, I think it's certainly interesting that they're talking more about scrimmages than they are about, you know, preseason games. We'll see. I think, I think Daniel Jones has a lot of potential, and uh, I'm expecting a big year out of him.
2: I feel like hipster New York culture has found its way into football because that's like the most hipster thing I could ever think about. I actually don't watch the games, Derek. I actually am more of a scrimmage fan myself. <laughs> Who are these people? And how do they know so much? But apparently uh, my main man, Kyle Rudolph, as you know, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan, go Fighting Irish. Kyle Rudolph, Notre Dame alum, he actually heard about the scrimmage complaint. And he defended my boy, uh, Daniel Jones. He said Danny Dimes is fine and that he's going to do big things this regular season. So if Kyle Rudolph thinks he's going to be good, I have faith in him. How do you feel about Danny Dimes?
1: Again, I told you, I think he's going to have a big year. I think he has a lot of potential. I really see him as the kind of the reincarnation of Eli Manning. I I think he's going to kind of have that kind of a career trajectory. Reminds me a lot of Eli. So, I mean, we'll see what he can do, but I'm, I'm certainly excited to watch him in two and a half weeks. So you're, predicting,
2: so you're predicting a 500 quarterback with lots of interceptions who's going to miraculously win a couple. Of no, rings.
1: no, no. I'm saying early in his career. He's <laughs> looking very similar to Eli Manning. Maybe the rest of his career, he'll be worse. He could be better. We don't know. Or it could be the same. I have no idea. But he just he reminds me a lot of Eli Manning watching him on the field.
2: Yeah, apparently he even like was like mentored by Archie and Eli growing up. He used to go to their camps like every summer.
1: Well, that uh, doesn't doesn't surprise me in the least.
2: So uh, your comparison may not be too far off. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually doing a little research for um, NY2C on Friday tomorrow. I'm uh, going to go to the Jets Eagles game, uh, you know, to scat out the players.
1: OK, well, I'll look forward to your scouting report next week here on On the Call. We'll do some more football talk. Uh, it Can't should wait. be very exciting. And uh, we'll see uh, he can escape the janitor's closet at the dive <laughs> bar where Joey Rinaldi joins us, of course, today. I'm Derek Thunderman in my normal location, which shall also remain undisclosed. And uh, we'll see you next week on On the Call, the exclusive sports podcast from NY2C, video available on NY2C.com and available audio wherever you stream your podcasts. We'll see you next week.
0: On the Call. New episodes every week, available wherever you get your podcasts and online at ny2c.com.